Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today to thank you for your amazing grace, for the love that you have for us, the fact that you never leave us nor forsake us. Teach us your word, O Lord, I pray. Help us to hear you and to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, could you turn those back on right here? Can't see. (laughs) There we go. Yes. (laughs) Well, according to one site, the five most important things. What are the five most important things? Family, meaning our relationships are the most important things in the world. Friends, like family. Friends are very important. Love, love includes family and friends. Your calling in intimate relationships. This is your, you know, your calling is your sense of meaning. And, of course, uh, the final one would be your health. Another site gives this list of the most important things in life. Education is a necessity. Education is the key to unlock the world. It gives us space to learn, a space to grow. Having goals in life, hard work, power, determination, friendship, family, the best gift, and health, of course. And then they put out helping others as their last thing. Well, let me ask you, what is the most important thing in your life? If, I were to look, if you were to look at your priorities, your spending habits, your habits, your daily routines, that will tell you what your priorities are. We may say what our priorities are, but in reality, it's how we spend our time that will tell us what is the most important thing or person in your life. So how do you spend your time? What do you do when you spend your time? Who or what is the most important thing in the world? And, you know, um, the first commandment of the ten, God told Moses this, you shall have no other gods before me. God is the most important person for every human and every person. In Deuteronomy, Moses said to the people, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. God told Joshua, only be strong and courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Pay attention to my word. From these verses we see we were created for God to be our top priority. We were designed to hear his word, meditate upon it, and know his word. In Psalm 119 we read, how can a young man keep his way pure by by keeping it according to your word, with all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Your, your word is important. When someone is a priority, the focus of your life, you pay attention to him, you listen to him, you make time for him. We drop what we do to listen to what he wants. God is our priority, our focus, and our first response. Because humanity is lost in sin, darkened and deceived by the selfish desires within us, it does not pursue the things of God. So since we're selfish, we will not pursue the things of God. He will not be a priority. And in fact, we don't want him to be. In Isaiah, uh, it won't be on your screen, but Isaiah 59 says, Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the street and uprightness cannot enter. Yes, truth is lacking and he turns aside from evil. And he who turns aside from evil himself a prey. 
Now the Lord saw it. It was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. And so it's really what you're seeing today as we see immorality celebrated and exalted and the truth of Christ and righteousness seen as evil. This is what happens when God is not our priority, when God is not our focus, and when self is. We destroy ourselves. In Romans 8, Paul warned, For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We cannot and will not choose to please God because of the sin in our heart. But God who loves us so richly, so beautifully, so wonderfully, sent His Son, the Lord Jesus, to come to this earth, to die on the cross and take your sin and my sin and put it on Him and paid the penalty for our sin. And now, because of Christ, I am, my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. I bow my knee before the Lord God and I humbly declare and loudly declare, Jesus, you are Lord because he has saved me and set me free. And because of that, I am now called righteous. I have a home in heaven. I have a community I live in. I get to bless others with the message of Jesus. This is what he has done. He has saved me from myself. But, you know, in Romans 8, it says that our mind set in the flesh is death. You know, when God is not a priority and ignored, his word is then rejected. His presence is denied and hostility is shown to him. And then, as a result, hostility is shown to each other. If we're hostile to God, we're hostile to each other. If we do not have peace with God, we will not have peace with each other. When God is rejected, justice is up for grabs. Truth is whatever you want it to be, and the, and, and the word good is whatever you want to define it. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, which means we create a culture of death, conflict, immorality. We create a culture where we think we're okay, but underneath is the wickedness of human, humanity's heart. When God is the focus and priority, we counteract the evil of sin and idolatry of the human heart. When God is worshipped, the enemy recoils. Make him recoil. When you love God with all your heart, broken people have opportunity to be healed, saved, and forgiven. We become an agent of change, a fountain of life, a life-giving stream, and a destiny of hope. I challenge us today. Acknowledge God as our priority. Acknowledge Him. He is your priority. Again, when you do this, you are recognizing the truth. You're walking in the way you were designed, and you're living in the meaning God has for you. The Bible says you're made in the image of God. And since that is true, wouldn't, that, that, wouldn't it make sense then to know the one who made us <laughs> and to know all about him? If he created us in his image, let's make sure we know who he is. As we continue our series of the fourfold gospel, we were looking at Christ, our holiness. Last week we looked at Galatians 2, where the Apostle Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Christ now, he says, lives in me. I mean, sometimes we'll read that and kind of like, yeah, what's the next verse? You know, It's such a profound statement to me. Christ living in me. 
My life, myself, has been crucified. In his life, Christ's life has been established in me. The life I now live is the Christ life. The Christ life is Christ living his life through you and me. What an amazing, beautiful freedom that gives us. Could you imagine? He says, try real hard to be righteous. Do it. Oh, we're white-knuckling it, you know. <laughs> My mind betrays me before I've even had a second to get up. Like, darn. <laughs> I need the Christ life. I need his life in me. The Christ life or the Christ in your life is a life by which we are governed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We walk as Jesus walked. We listen as Jesus listened. We do as he has done. We see as he sees. Go in the direction that he desires to go. Follow as he leads. Jesus knew his father was his priority. And that is the Christ life. We make him our priority. The Christ in you message meant the deeper life. The closer we grow in Christ, the deeper into his life we journey in the depth of the relationship we see with the father and the son. The deeper life, A.W. Tozer defined it, demonstrating the intimacy we're called to live in Christ. And he said this, the deeper life includes the thoughts of the indwelling Christ, of acute consciousness, of rapturous worship, separation of the world, the joyous surrender of everything to God, internal union with the Trinity, the practice of the presence of God, the communion of saints, and prayer without ceasing. The deeper life is our journey. Christ in you life is the deeper life. So acknowledge God as your priority. Number one, drop everything because God is your priority. Let's look at Matthew 22, start with verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fatted livestock are all butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, and one to his own farm and others to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murders and set their city on fire. It's an interesting parable, kind of a dark parable if you look at it. You know, it begins with the kingdom of heaven comparison, which is quite common in Jesus' parables. He, always, he typically starts his parables with the kingdom of heaven is like. It ends, though, with the weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is not the kingdom of heaven. In this section of Matthew, particularly 21 and 22, Jesus is dealing with a contentious group of the religious leaders who are trying to trap him through deception. Now, Jesus, of course, is truth. He's the way, the truth, and life. He can smell deception. He knows deception. He sees it. He sees it in their hearts. And so they're trying to trap him through deception. You can't trap Jesus with deception, okay? You're just not going to do it. They want to trick him into saying something that they will use to condemn him so they can arrest him. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? If he just answers yes or no, yes, we got him. <laughs> of course, he says, well, let me ask you a question. He always does that. And so, so earlier in chapter 21, the religious leaders who are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and scribes, they ask him, by whose authority are you cleansing the temple? And he knows that if he says, well, by God's authority, he says, oh, blasphemy, <laughs> we got you. So what does he do? He asks a question to answer. Well, whose authority was it that John baptized? Uh, well, if we say this, <laughs> well, we don't know, <laughs> they would say. Jesus then tells the parable of the two sons, and he says, which of the two sons did the will of the father? The first son, he asks, 
will you do this? The son says, no, but changes his mind and does it. He asks the second son. He says, yes, but changes his mind and doesn't do it. And so he asks them, which son was obedient? Well, the one who did it. The one who did what the father asked. Then the Lord Jesus told another parable, the wicked vine growers. And Jesus said that a landowner planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers. The vine growers were not the owners, but the stewards of the vine, the vine of the vineyard. And, and when the owner, at that time when there was a time of, um, when the time for getting his grapes, if you will, he sent his slaves to go get what was owed him. And what did they do? They beat the slaves. They killed the slaves. They did whatever. They did not give the owner what was rightfully his. So then the, vine, then the owner of the, vine, of the vineyard says, well, I'll send my son, and they'll respect my son. But the vine growers uh, kill the son, thinking they will now rightfully own the vineyard, which was their intention all along. The owner instead will remove the vine growers and replace them. And the religious leaders, hearing this parable, knew Christ was speaking of them. Okay, there was no ambiguity here. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. And they knew that Jesus was saying he is the son. Now, let me tell you the incredible patience of God. Because if I own something and I go send somebody to go get what I want and they do what they did, I'm not giving them three chances or four chances or five chances. No. You're di- you, <laughs> give me my nice stuff right now. You know, grab, you know, I mean, it's always resort to this violence. You know, <laughs> Take me but, and, and that's what you see here. You're seeing this in terms of the patience of God that he kept going after his people constantly. When you refuse the Son, you reject God. Now Christ said in the Gospel of John, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. In the letter uh, that John wrote, he says, whoever denies the Son denies not, does, does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. If you reject the Son, you're rejecting God. You're not acknowledging God as your priority. So the first observation, honor the Son. When you honor the Son, you're honoring the Father. If you want to get to the Father, you have to receive the Son. Jesus rebuked the religious leaders in this parable, and they understood the meaning of the parable, uh, the, the vineyard parable, in chapter 21, in verse 45 of 21, it says, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parable, they understood that he was speaking about them. They knew it was clear as, clear as day. And then Jesus told this parable here in Matthew 22. And again, he uses the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of God is the presence of God and his authority. The kingdom of God is all around us because God's authority is all around us. It's not a place you go to. It's an acknowledgement. It's a place where you, or it's where you go in your heart and you say, God, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. I have not acknowledged you as God. I acknowledge you as God. You are God. You know, when Isaiah was uh, in the temple, he had this vision of God, and he recognized the minute that he saw God, his mouth was not filled with worship. And he said, God, I, my mouth's not filled with worship. It's filled with other things. That's the kingdom of God. When you repent of your sins and say, God, you're God. Our job is to help people acknowledge God's authority for he's creator, Lord, and sovereign. The presence of God is made known through his son. The kingdom of God, as he tells this parable, is like a king who threw a wedding banquet party for his son. This is the second parable where Jesus mentions his son, or mentions the son. He did this because he's exposing the evil of the hearts of these religious leaders because they want to kill him. (laughs) 
The king threw a banquet party and told his slaves to go and let those invited to come for the wedding feast because it's time to celebrate. The feast is now ready. In Jesus' day, wedding feasts usually lasted several days. It was not like our day today was weddings where it's just like an afternoon and, and that's it. No, they were several days, you know. And so you can imagine the expanse of that, of all the food and the wine that was part of it. And let me tell you, if a king threw a feast for his son, you can imagine no expense was spared. In the book of Esther, King Artaxerxes, he was the king of Persia, held a six-month party. Can you imagine that? Six months. I bet that Artaxerxes, when he sent out his invitations to all those people in his kingdom that were invited, I bet no one said, oh, I can't come. (laughs) Oh, they came. (laughs) Well, the king in this parable sends out his slaves telling those invited to come to the wedding banquet. What do we read? First part, they were unwilling to come and they paid no attention and went their own way. They ignored the invitation. They ignored the king. They ignored the son. The people invited did not make the king a priority. When someone or something is a priority, you will always have time. You will make time. You will drop everything when your priority arises. When the king reminded those who were invited to the banquet, saying it's ready, the people demonstrated by their priority by how they received that invitation. And And they demonstrated that this was not a priority to them. The king was not a priority to them. Everything else in their lives were. When Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, he's saying to them in a direct fashion, you are not truly acknowledging God as a priority because you're attacking me. When we are called to live the holy Christ life, we're open to what God has. We're aware of who God is. We are able to discern the things of God. We allow God to challenge our presuppositions and our made, made, uh, made, man-made boundaries. If God matters, then what he desires, we desire. And what he loves matters to us. God said of Christ, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. God accepts his son. The father finds joy in his son. Should we not find joy in Christ? Should we not seek after Christ since the father loves the son? One group paid no attention to the invitation of the king. They just walked away. Others were more violent. Others, when the slaves arrived to tell the news of the party, they arrested those slaves and they beat them and even killed them. When we read this, we know what he's saying. It's the history of the people of God who killed his prophets. You know what you also see in this parable that stands out to me is that God is always inviting. God is always inviting you into his presence. He's inviting you to come. He desires you to live with him and to live in freedom. Christ is the invitation. And when you receive Christ, you receive the invitation. If you reject the king's offer... Judgment awaits. So acknowledge God as your priority. Number two, when God is your priority, obey his call. Let's look at verse eight. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways and as many as you find there, invite the wet to the wedding feast. No slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. There was a movie I never watched. It, it was called uh, two, uh, It was, a, it was called the Big Year. It's about 
bird watchers. I guess there's a competition for bird watchers. I never knew that, but I guess there is. <laughs> well, these three characters, Brad Harris, Stu Pressler, and uh, Kenny Bostick, they're all in this competition to win this title for bird spotting competition. But while the contestants uh, travel extensively in their quest to be the number one birder, Brad and Stu continue with their personal lives, taking care of their wives and families. Kenny, on the other hand, de uh, devotes all his time to birding, which produces enormous strain on his marriage. Finally, after Kenny fails to meet his wife, Jessica, for an important doctor's appointment, Jessica affirms her love for Kenny, but says she doesn't want to be married to him anymore. And in this scene, Kenny scrambles to make things work while Jessica insists he'll never change. And so this is how the conversation goes. Now, come on, give me a break, Jess, and says, Kenny, that's, th that's this year, and then it's over. It's every year, shouts Jessica. I know you. I know that, that right now you're in pain, trying to think how you're going to get on your flight to Phoenix without looking like a jerk. No, no, Kenny, please. I'm really in pain because I love you, and I'm scrambling to make this work. Enough not to go to Arizona, asks Jessica. Well, I have to go to Arizona. Why? Why? Because right now there's a guy right out there named Stu with 730 plus birds. And if I don't get out there, people could say that he's the greatest birder of all time. And, not, and he's not. That's what I'm great at. This is what I'll be remembered for. No one remembers who came in second. And she says, yes, of course, no one remembers who came in second. Because she's second. No one remembers who came in second. When God is not your priority or focus then something else will be. And whatever it is, that is an idol. When you remove God from his place of priority and put something or someone else there, then you enter into absurd because who can be greater than God? Typically, what our idols are, our, our greatest idol, or really our only idol is self. We make ourselves a priority. When the king heard that what the invited guests did to his servants and, and the invitations of his, uh, that were rejected and even his servants were killed, he judged them. When you reject God's invitation, then you're subject to judgment. In the Gospel of John, we read, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the, gra the wrath of God abides on him. In Hebrews, we read, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So you gain the whole world, but you lost your soul. Uh, and this is what happens. Number one, live each day for God. When the king sent out his invitations to the invited, they were not distracted, but intentionally ignored the request. They were living for the moment, not for God. What does a holy lifestyle look like? It looks like Christ. It is relationship. When religious leaders accosted Jesus for his relationship to the Father, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. You see the priority the Lord Jesus had? His Father is His priority. He gazes upon this Father. He sees the Father. 
He does what the Father does. He does not act in defiance of the Father. He pays attention to the Father. He does not walk away but toward the Father. The Lord Jesus did not watch the world. He was not influenced by the voices of the world. He was not led or coerced by the message of human wisdom. He was not driven to the value by the values of the world. He instead was so engaged with his Father, he only did what his Father did. He wanted to do what his Father did. I remember one time when I was like a little boy. My dad was a professor at college. And for some reason, I was in his classroom. I don't know why. But <clears throat> there I was, and he actually put a little st- uh, chair up or stool and had me stand on it. And he taught his class. Well, my dad, as he teaches his class, this is back in the chalkboard, you know, day, and he starts to write something on the chalkboard. And I had a piece of chalk, so I started writing something on the chalkboard. <laughs> and everyone started laughing. But I did whatever my father was doing. And you get this picture as you read John 5.19. He's just looking at the Father going, whatever you're doing, Father. The people invited were now no longer invited. But instead, King sent out his slaves to highways and byways. Invite everyone. Invite all who want to come. The King will have a feast. People will be there. The banquet hall will be filled. God created all of us to live with him. When I read this parable, a question comes to my mind. Because, you know, if those who were invited had accepted the invitation and came to the banquet feast, what about all those other people that Jesus went out to get? And you know what? They would have been there too. You know why? Because his people, those invited, would have brought them. They would have brought them. Because they would have known the Father's heart so deeply They would have known his heart. They would have known who he was. They would have said, these people matter too. We'll bring them along. But because these people were so ingrained with who they were, they didn't see anyone. When God's not a priority, a lot of people are left out. Instead of the religious leaders, they snarled and were angry with Jesus for talking to the dregs of society. How dare you talk to those sinners? The holy lifestyle knows the heart of God and understands the lostness of people. Acknowledge God as your priority. When the king speaks, you drop everything and say, whatever you need, God, I will be there. I'll do your calling. Well, not whatever you need, whatever you desire. (laughs) Number three, God is your priority. Stay for dinner. Verse 11. When the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. When you read this parable, you tend to see only the negative and the harshness that may come out. When you look at what the king, what he did, what, he wanted to do this. He wanted a feast. He wanted people there. He threw a party and invited you to come to this party. He thought of you. This is a joyous occasion. In Revelation, we're told, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. In Scripture, Christ is compared to the bridegroom and the church is the bride. John, said, John the Baptist said of Christ, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. John saw himself as the friend to the bridegroom, and Christ is the bridegroom. 
The marriage relationship demonstrates the relationship of Christ with his church. It's an intimate and holy relationship. Christ belongs to the church as the husband to the wife. The church belongs to Christ as the wife to the husband. Marriage demonstrates faithfulness. That's where you see this picture of marriage between Christ and the church, a beautiful picture of faithfulness because we're called to be faithful in marriage. Christ is faithful to the church and the church is faithful to the Christ. All idols must be removed. Faithfulness is the mark of holiness, which is the revelation of God's love. God is truly faithful to us, is he not? And as we are called to be faithful to him. The king wants to throw a party, and he invites all those, even though they rejected his invitation. And then the king instead says, well, I will gather all those who will come. And the king's party is standing room only. And what we realize is there's enough room for you. There's enough room, enough food for everyone, because God does not run out. However, if you want to stay for dinner at the wedding feast, then you better be properly clothed. So number one, accept with gratitude. In the ancient world, wedding feasts required proper attires. In most cases today, wedding, weddings do too. You know, typically if I were to do a wedding, I will not be dressed in jeans and, you know, typically a suit and tie. Unless they ask a certain theme, I guess. It depends on the theme. But that, again, that would require the attire, whatever the theme is. Most people may attend a wedding wearing a suit, a tie, or a dress. The wedding party uh, in today's weddings are tuxedos and coordinated dresses. This man who attends the wedding, when I read this, when I read this, this man who's there and the king comes in, he looks like he's not properly dressed. It's like he has this attitude of, just be happy I'm here. Just be happy I'm here. This is the attitude that I think many of us have toward God. Just be happy I'm here, God. You should be happy that I'm listening to, to you because, you know what, you owe me something. Instead, we are to accept the invitation to the amazing Almighty God with gratitude and humility, praising him for thinking of you. When the king confronted the man, this man had no answer. It says he was speechless. When God reveals himself, if we have not received Christ into our lives, we too will be speechless. God is holy, and that means he's good, but he's dangerous. We must approach him with Christ in our hearts and with gratitude. In Revelation 7, it says, A great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. In Revelation 19, it says, It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. When we are called home, we must be dressed properly to stand in his presence and stay for dinner. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, says Jesus. Well, will you let me in? Can we sit down and eat? Can I stay for dinner? This man was not allowed to stay for dinner because he was not properly dressed. We must be dressed wearing the righteousness of Christ. So number two, put on Christ. In Romans 13, the Apostle Paul wrote, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision in the flesh in regard to its lusts. Paul wrote, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. When you put on Christ, your identity is Christ. Your actions are of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. You have the hands and feet of Christ. The proper clothing is Christ. Without it, you're cast out. You can't come in. There is no place for you without Christ. God is inviting you to his table, to his feast. He's inviting you to the table. So put on Christ, live his life. 
and serve those around you. When Christ died on the cross, he died for you so you could put on Christ. Those invited to the party did not take God seriously. Other things were more important. Idols are more important. Those who did come could stay because they wore the right clothes they put on Christ. Come to the feast. Celebrate Christ. Acknowledge God as your priority and live for him each day. Let's pray. Father God, you're amazing. You're good. Thank you for the invitation that we may celebrate with you. We may rejoice with you. And that's what we want. We want to live with you.